happen as the new year begins is that you're going to, you take bread and you go to a lake or a river or something like that and you cast your bread on the water and you're casting your sins away. And uh, depending on the, on the congregation, whether it's Reformed or Orthodox, they may have a different prayer liturgy, but the idea is still, the tradition is, is that you're going to take your, your sins, your bread, and you cast it on the water uh, to get rid of that, okay? Chashlik. Well, the fun part about that is I got uh, uh, from a uh, Jewish synagogue in Chicago. They thought they would have a little bit of fun with this. So this is kind of tongue-in-cheek. So they said if you're going to celebrate Tashlik, maybe the type of bread that you throw out depends on your sins. So they're trying to say, oh, maybe you can customize this a little bit. Uh-oh. <laughs> they did come up with this. This isn't just me, okay? Okay. <laughs> So they're saying, okay, for ordinary sins, uh, maybe you should use just white bread. They're just regular, ordinary, okay? <laughs> but if you have really complex sins, they're saying, maybe multi-grain would be great. <laughs> okay? Oh, it gets worse. Sins of indecision, oh. just can't quite make a decision. Well, of course, then you should probably use waffles. Oh. <laughs> I know, I know. Sins of substance abuse. Stone Sins of timidity and cowardice. Milk toast. <laughs> Sins of silliness. Okay, this is well, obviously you do stuff Okay. Uh, how about sins of overeating? Stuffing. <laughs> no, the, 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 they did say for sins, oh, I didn't put this up here, uh, for tasteless sins, you should use rice cakes. Yeah. No. <laughs> sins of dressing immodestly? Tarts. <laughs> sins of <laughs> photography? Cheesecake. <laughs> Sins of not giving full value. Short <laughs> For really twisted sins. Very good. You got it. Pretzels. Okay. Uh, probably, I would guess that's how we do that. Okay, and finally, for telling really bad jokes. I would probably be having to throw corporate, I guess, if I were celebrating Okay, well that said then, um, we'll get past the silliness, and we'll just, let's just go ahead and start this. What manner of communications are these that you have not forgotten? As you walk, thus sat. Are thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known of the things which have come to pass there in these days? What things? 
Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. How the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and have crucified him. And we trusted that he would show the redeemed his back. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Turn to Luke 24. Now, in terms of the um, the, the events that are occurring, this actually comes... It's interesting how this works. It goes right from um, uh, Mary at... The Marys are at the tomb. Uh, they come back. They tell uh, the, the disciples. Peter and John run to the tomb. Then they're coming back. And then these two brethren go out after hearing Peter 
and John, and before the Savior actually appears to all the disciples. So this is the intervening event. Okay? Uh, and it came to pass, two of them went the same day to the village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs, about 30 miles. And they talked together of these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together in reason, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden. Holden meaning they recognize him. Now, a couple things about this. Why would he do this? For what purpose? Because if this is to testify that he is now resurrected, why would he go through this? And it's going to obviously a period of some time. Why would he do this? Okay, where was the prophecy for he would be holden? <laughs> yeah, see, I did the same thing, Monty. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Is this everything he did fulfilled prophecy? I'm not necessarily finding this one. He would appear to them because, again, he could have shown up and just said, here I am. They go, wow, this is, and he's about to do this with the disciples in just a couple hours. He will do that in fulfillment of all prophecy. But in this case, I'm going to walk with them for a while. And I'm going to talk to you, but you're not going to know yet who I am. Why would he do this? I think they were. he was testing their faith to see if they would still proclaim his... Maybe a bit of a test. His life. And, okay. and he was a perfect stranger to them, and they, they said everything. They're just laying it right out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just to get a feeling for what the feeling was after everything Maybe have a chance to kind of visit with them without kind of check their hearts, see what they're saying, see what they believe. Yeah? Very good. Does that make some sense? She, she said maybe this was how to tell them how they felt. Uh, now, because as we're looking at this, I want you to kind of put this a bit in context. Um, and I want you to, because again, the, these experiences are taught to us with an idea that we should be able to put ourselves into the position of these people. So I want you to picture some of us that sometimes in our life we have had experiences where we thought we knew what needed to happen. We had, we had a vision of what we, we thought should be occurring. It doesn't turn out the way we thought. And we're devastated and we're confused and we're hurting and we walk the road to Emmaus. We're just walking. I almost picture these guys so overwhelmed when the Peter and John are coming back saying, he's not there, he's gone, and they're just not quite sure what to do, so they just are going to go for a walk. And how many times do we walk the road to Emmaus? How many times are we just walking and confused and hurting, and we've lost our vision, and we just can't, and we just are walking, and we're sad? Okay? And... Our eyes are holden to what? Close to our blessings. To our, to our blessings. And? The big picture. the Lord's will. We may be blind to His will. It's being deliberately covered from us. And? I heard another one. The big picture. Sometimes the big picture. I want this, I want this to happen right now. I really want my son to get his eagle. You know, I really wanted to do this. I want, I mean, we just, 
we are, are we have a, a narrowing of our vision and our eyes are holding to the bigger picture. Yeah. Sometime in that we think he's gone. We think he's we feel abandoned, we feel lost, we feel confused. And we are and we're sad and we don't have answers. Okay? Now there is another thing and we're going to we'll know this in a minute, but while their eyes are being holden, they are feeling things. And I think that's true. I think the idea was to be able to focus on what we feel. Yeah. So what is it? Yeah. Good question. So in what way would his handling these two grieving disciples in this way, holding their eyes, working with them, teaching them without him knowing who he is, in what way would them bring that to Christ? That's a great question. Yeah. I think he's just teaching them how to feel and how to recognize that feeling when he's present. When you can't see, trust what you feel from me. Does that, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And maybe to prepare them to recognize the Holy Ghost when the Holy Ghost is talking. And that's going to happen in just a minute. A couple hours here, but for us, it'll be a couple minutes. Okay. I'm kind of curious. Who are the two men that he's going to see? Ah, we don't know about the one, but apparently, uh, I found it interesting. If you go back to the, the moment on the cross, it says that uh, he looked down and there was Mary... And, or there was the mother of Jesus that says, and her sister Mary, the wife of Cleopas, is, is what that says. The mother of Jesus and her sister Mary, the wife of Cleopas. And as it turns out, verse 18, and one of them whose name was Cleopas. So in all likelihood, who is this? His uncle. He's visiting family. But even his uncle, his eyes too were holding as to who he was. Now, I think that is fascinating too because, can I add one more layer to this? How many times do we have people, even in the church, whose eyes are holding to his real plan? Their eyes are holding to who he really is. Their eyes are holding to the real uh, plan of salvation that he has for us. How many of our teens are their eyes are holding, blinded by the world, and their eyes are holding to what God really has in mind for them? They, all they know is they look weird. All they know is that all their friends are dating at 14 and they're having to wait. All they know is that their friends get to wear one dress to prom and they have to wear something else that looks kind of dorky. And it's not as cool as what everybody else is wearing. That's what they know. And at that moment, their eyes are holding. All they know is that it's weird. Don't you think all of us have eyes that are holding at various times? Doesn't that make sense? She says, aren't all of our eyes holding at one time or another? Absolutely. That's why I think he did it this way. We all walk the road to Emmaus. This is us. And and our vision is a little bit clouded. But when we stop and listen, we're going to say, wait a minute. Weren't we feeling something? I've got to start paying attention to this. Well, I think it's kind of a constant state because we're, I mean, we have the veil of forgetfulness, but as we progress, you know, we are able to have a layer leader kind of. Yes. And we, our understanding increases until, and it continues on as we accept 
the new truth. So in some way, it's, it's, it's just part of life. In, interesting experience, uh, and Nancy, you'd appreciate this. Uh, in, in High Council, we were talking about the game of life that, that was held here on uh, Saturday for the, the Plano youth. And they, were, and they had the Plano uh, game of life, and it's going on over here. And then in the overflow over here, we had kids doing indexing. Part of that whole thing was that they would walk out of life, they're going to come over, and they're going to connect. Okay? Those that were involved, adults who walked among life and mortality going on in the gym and then walked from there and into the overflow where the kids were indexing, felt a noticeable... you feel that? Raising spirit in there. It was crazy awesome. It, there was something different. There were other workshops going on too which were all just really good. And But something about walking through that overflow, it... You just felt it as soon as you walked in there. There was there was just something yeah. powerful going on in there, and yeah. And then you walk from there and you go back into the world, and it's like this is good, but that's better. Yeah, <laughs> that's really, powerful. It was very tangible. Very tangible. And our eyes are holden, even in the good things and the service that we're doing. That there is another level that we're holding to that we can't see, that we're a bit blind to. What was the game of life? <laughs> the, the, the kids are running through a variety of experiences, and this is supposed to be the game of life, and they're meeting each other and getting married and getting jobs and going to school, and, and they're, they're, they're doing all these kind of things and simulating all of that. Um, it's like a board game. It's kind of like a board game life of, size. yeah, life size. Celestial. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Took about 80 adults to kind of pull this off. It was a big deal. Yeah. These are becoming more witnesses. Notice what's ha- the other thing that's happening here. Um, that the, he's, he's putting together witnesses here before everybody else will will see that. Now, by the way, this is the other parallel to this to me is when we talk about the second coming, um, and we'll get into some of that this this winter when we start going through the prophets uh, that we're going to be looking at. But we think about the second coming as an event. Like, like the world is going on and he's here and, and now the second coming has happened. When really the second coming is a series of events. And his, his resurrection is a series of events to a series of people. Um, and, and, and we're watching this kind of unfold. Now, their eyes were holding. Uh, gosh, we're, we're three verses in. <laughs> and he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another that you walk and are so sad? You know, I love this. And they're just aware how, how much they're hurting. And they're going to, and as you heard on the, uh, the video, they're going to say, The chief priests and owners have condemned him to death, crucified him. Then here it gives you some idea why it is that they had a hard time accepting that perhaps he had been resurrected. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed 
Israel. What were they looking for? Yeah, in other words, no matter how many times he said, my kingdom is not of this earth kind of yet, there were still these, these uh, expectations that we hold on to. They were having a hard time letting go of because they were under the oppression of the Romans and they really, really wanted him to redeem them physically, militarily. And it wasn't going to happen. But, but they were still hoping he's going to redeem Israel and whatever they believed that redemption would look like. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. He said three days. And if we use the language of the, the ten virgins, this is the third day and he delayeth his coming. It isn't happening as fast. We want things to happen, and it's not happening yet, fast enough. Okay? Now, a certain woman astonished us. Uh, they found his body, and they said they'd seen angels, which said he was alive. This doesn't make any sense to us, so there's a lot of confusion going on here. Um, and then, then you've got a lot of courage to say, okay, thou fools. You just see the kind of the gentleness, not a criticalness. And he te- then he begins to teach them. Uh, now, they are feeling something 29, but they constrained him when he starts to walk away. He constrained them. There's a, there's a verse, I'm not going to go to it, there's a verse in the Doctrine and Covenants where, he, where he's telling the, the uh, disciples... Call on me when I am near. When do we want to be... How do we get answers from the Savior? How do we get answers from prayer? And in, in in praying, Heavenly Father, we're wanting to hear from Him. When is the best time to ask? When He's near. When He's close. And it doesn't matter where you are under what circumstances... If you feel your heart burn within you, you begin to feel His nearness... Now. Ask now. Communicate now. And to use the term here, constrain him. Please don't leave. Come close. Don't leave. In a sense, wasn't that what Mary was doing at the tomb? And he's saying, don't hold on to me. I I still have a place I need to go. Don't hold me back. Don't hold me up. He wasn't saying, you're not allowed to touch me. He was saying, just hold, don't hold me back. But if, if we love the Savior and He's close by, what do we want to do? Constrain Him. Remember the Nephites? When the Savior comes and He visits the Nephites, He's going to teach Him and He goes, Okay, I've t- I just taught you the entire Sermon on the Mount and we've been teaching, we've been teaching. I can tell you're a little tired. I'm going to go. You guys go home. Get some, something to eat. Get some sleep. Tell your friends I'm here. I'll see you tomorrow. And he gets ready to leave and what happens? They looked on him like, please don't go. They are constraining him. Please don't leave. I need thee. And he felt that constraining. Okay. How about this? How about in your prayers? What happens if you are 
praying and you're expressing your heart in gratitude and you're really feeling the Spirit in a prayer. Stay a little longer. Stay. To, to, to use, use the terms of, one of the terms that the singles use on Fast Sunday. Linger longer. Linger. Constrain. Stay with Him. Don't go. Don't run. Allow yourself to constrain Him. And because in this case, they constrain him. He start, he, I love he's going he's to act like he's walking off. He's going to play a little hard to get. Okay, I, I taught you this stuff. Their heart's burning. And the Savior starts to walk off. What do they do? Um, we're going to get something to eat. It's getting close to dark. You want to join us, please? And what does he do? What he always does. He turns and comes back. Constrain him. Draw him close. Abide with us. For it's evening and the day is spent. And he went in to do what he always does. If you will just ask. He tarries. He will tarry with you. It's our road to Emmaus. Especially at those times when we're struggling and we're hurting and we're confused. And we're lacking vision. And he went into Terry with them, and it came to pass that he sat as meat with them and took bread and blessed it. And their eyes were finally open. Now, yeah. why do you think he left at that point? That's a good question. What was the question? Why do you think he left at that? Those are the kind of questions you should be asking. But you start looking and say, what's the purpose here? Why would he then leave right now? Why would he not hang around? see someone else. He probably had other places. He just spent all afternoon with these guys. He's got some things to do. But also for them, this is a chance that their faith, they've learned, and then he's going he's gonna to step away, and they have to then decide what they're going to do. What are they going to do? Gotcha. They're going to do the same thing that Mary did at the tomb. When she knew the good news, what do we do when we've walked the road to Emmaus, and we finally get the vision and we finally understand the plan and our eyes are open and we get it and now we're ready. What do we do? We run. We run. And tell those that we love. Think about Lehi at the tree of life. He tastes the fruit. Wow, this is great. His eyes are open. This is the best fruit ever. What's he doing? Where's my family? Well, uh, that, the, the sequence of events here is that when we walk this road, there will be a moment if we'll finally listen, our hearts are burning, we get it, our eyes are open, and the next thing we do then is that we run. And we run and tell those people we love. Run. And, and they arose up the same hour. They walked all the way down to Emmaus, and it's like, we've got to go now. Right, right now, this very hour, we're out of here. Okay? Um, and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven gathered together, and then that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. Wow. So somewhere in here, Pete, and then we don't have this event recorded, unless Peter was the other apostle on the road. We, we don't know that. But somewhere Peter has all also had an experience. And that would make sense, wouldn't it? That he would visit 
the president of the church. Mm-hmm. Okay, so these these experiences are starting to happen. Now, now look at how this how they got this three five uh, and. And, and these things were told and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And as they thus spoke, they're in the middle of saying, we saw him. He was breaking bread with us and the light shows up. <laughs> the timing on this is just great. As they thus spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, peace be unto you. Okay. Then they're going to go ahead and have the experience and finally get to feel this. Now, he's going to open their understanding that they might finally understand the scriptures. Now, he does an interesting thing, and for this we're going to hop over to uh, John 20, 22. And it actually fits with everything else that we were just saying. 20, yeah. John 20, 22. So it sounds like there wasn't just the 11 there, then it was those other... There were more than, yeah, it was more than just the 11 here, because those disciples and probably the 70s, and I mean, there's, there's, there's a group here, I believe that there would have been a number of women here. Uh, certainly the Marys were there, and probably Mary and Martha, and, and all those... Um, now, he's going to use an interesting term here. Uh, after he shows them in verse 20, peace be unto you. Then in 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Well, that's an interesting term. He breathed on them. Whispered? Breathed. Could it have meant whispered? Well, here, here's, that's where my head went. Because the, uh, whispering and breathing, there's a number of terms that are used in the scriptures about uh, the breath of God and stuff like that. But, but here's what I found, kind of fascinating. This, the, the Greek word that is used here, when it says he breathed on them, is only used one other time in the entire Bible. Once in the New Testament, once in the Old Testament. This is the case in the New Testament. The other one you will find in Genesis 2-7. And God formed man out of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now, fascinating to me. that. So I'm, I'm trying to say if the same word is being used by John, who would have wrote it, wrote it, written it, Hath yeah. written it, done, done written it, <laughs> and use this specific word to describe breathe. And he's going to use the same word that uh, Moses used in describing God forming man out of the dust and breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. Do you mind? Tumble through that just a second. Now, getting too detailed here, why would he use such a word? Well, it's a new life after you're baptized and confirmed a member of the church. It's like you're having a new life and you're given life 
And you're being filled with the Spirit, the, the Spirit and the breath of God. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Now, let, let, let me take this one step farther on this. In Middle Eastern custom, closeness, intimacy is called face-to-face. And why do they call it face-to-face? The tradition with that is face-to-face Face means I am so close to you that I can feel your breath. Feel your breath on my face. When we love somebody, we want to be very, very close to them and feel their breath. As long as they have like had a mint or something. <laughs> but it's that closeness, it's that intimacy. Uh, to feel the breath of someone. And that's why this word... Uh, Emphaseo is only used twice because it's denoting when this breath is being done, it's done in a face-to-face method. Okay, very, very close, very intimate. Now, in this case, what's happening is is he's saying to them, receive the Holy Ghost and whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. What's he doing with them? Yeah. Yeah, there's a sealing power. There's, a, there's some keys, priesthood keys that are being given here. This isn't just the gift of the Holy Ghost. There's far more here. Um, and we don't know that because we're not given any more explanation. Other than the fact that when we talked about walking that road to Emmaus, go back to that experience. And the Savior is going to sit down with them and provide the sacrament. And, they're, and, and what's He doing? He's providing information how? Face to face. Intimately. Now, I guess my question would be then. Kevin, yes. before you go on, that passage of... This is what the Catholic Church uses to... Um, explain why their priests can forgive sins. Whatever sin... Is it? Is this this where they're looking yeah. back to? Yeah. Uh, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, because there's still a sense that there are keys being given. It's one of those things that we share in common, by the way, with the Catholic Church, is an understanding that there, have, that there, are, there are forgiveness that can be done and that, it, and that the priest... Or the bishop or somebody can be the recipient or the, uh, the facilitator of that. God ultimately forgives sins, but on behalf of the church we can do that. Okay? Now, so, as you look at this, here's the question that I think of, again, you look at this whole thing in context. The Savior is coming back, He's been resurrected, and the first thing He's going to do is going to walk through here. And my question is, have you felt the breath of God changing and renewing you? Have you had an intimate face-to-face experience with Him that has changed you? Have you walked the road to Emmaus and had these kind of experiences that left uh, and had that kind of effect on you? If you have, then what? Run. Run. Go tell it on the mountain. Go tell it. And go tell people. If you have not, but here's the question. 
What happens if we have like either a new convert or we've had our kids or somebody that we're home teaching or something and you get the sense that the breath of God hasn't quite changed them. They haven't had the face-to-face experience yet. What needs to happen? How do we help them? What do we need to do, sister? Part of it, we have to love them. We're going to have... They may not have a face-to-face experience with, with their feeling the breath of God yet, but in, until they get to that point, they have us. Have they had a face-to-face experience with us? With somebody that really loves them? Have they, had, have they felt that? Have they, has that changed? Does, the, the, will love change people? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. They may not get it from God yet, but they may get it from one of His emissaries. They may get it from us. Okay? All right. That said, let let me... There's uh, another event that happens in the course of all of this that I want to to refer to. Um, And so, by the way, any other questions, comments on that before we kind of move on to the next step? Yeah. Yeah. And when you ask, you know, what can we do for these people that we want to run towards? Um, Christ in the scriptures that said, well, we walk, walk, we talk with them right away. And as you open them to the scriptures unto them. Yes. And so I heard these two different things that brought the spirit was the scriptures want to talk with them. And then at the end, they were able to have that in my heart. You know, to didn't feel that my heart was within me. So he's actually going to go back to some of the ancient prophets and say, let me show you what they said. And part of them beginning to understand and having their eyes open is having the scriptures open to them so they can actually see the scriptures for the first time. Great point. Because remember, even John is saying uh, when when they go to the, the sepulcher and Jesus is gone and he says, we still did not yet understand the scripture. We still didn't get it. It still needed to be expounded. Yeah. To look for look for opportunities to have the face to face experience, to feel his breath renewed again. Because when we think somebody might be open and ready, they may not be, and that is ultimately up to the problem. Yeah, that you know what? That's really a good point. If we love somebody, don't we want them to change like right now? We're really anxious that they should be done like tonight. And stop doing the dumb things that you're doing and fix it, change it, move it, be different. Because we want them to change based on our love, but also our timing. timing. Do it now. Make the change. Right away. Quick, 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 quick. And, And beautiful point. His spirit will say, okay, I'll show you as you're walking that road to Emmaus when and how that happens. Yeah. 
here and then here. Okay. I think it's interesting that um, he disappeared from the mass after he had given him the Yeah. Like, remember, remember, I'm with you always. So even though I am no, no longer with you face to face, you've had that experience, your heart was burning, and they knew going forward, now as they're on their way, they're running back to Jerusalem, they know now, even though he's not with them still, they still had that experience. Great point, yeah. In our state conference yesterday, um, we had Todd Hansen, Todd Hansen. Uh -huh. he called a young man out of the audience who was just baptized maybe three, four weeks ago. And so you can imagine standing in front of the state conference. Uh, yeah, that would be knee buckling time. What I know is that I have so much more to learn, yeah. so much more to do. As he said that, I thought about these last two weeks filled, filled, filled with general conference, filled, filled, filled with state conference. We're the same. I have so much more. Yeah. When he said that. But um, we feel like we can do it when it's being said. Yes. Yes. And then an hour later, let's see. Yeah, we got to go. We got to go. Yeah. So the point is, I think it's exposures, continued exposures for us. Yeah. That draws us close for those who are looking, I, searching. And he changed. We need that. We need to remember that breath of life. And we can start to forget over time that we've had those experiences. Great point. That's another hand. Okay. Yeah. I, I just think, going back to the timing issue, I think of these two that were on the road to Emmaus, and if you would have come in this whole story, their reaction in the end was, oh, oh my gosh, you know, you know who that was? He, they were almost to the point of disbelief. Yeah. Right. Do, do you know the other thing that also occurred to me while I was looking at this? That there was one other just, and it's not quite a spiritual thing. It just tells me also, when we talk, when uh, it says in the scriptures that some have entertained angels unaware. Isn't it fascinating that you could be walking next to a resurrected being and walk and talk and eat and not know that you were walking and talking next to a resurrected being? That's a little unnerving. And it could be exactly the Savior yourself, and your eyes could be holding in such a way. So be careful who you entertain. You know, be nice to you. Don't you just don't know? Um, okay. Well, that's it. Well, let, um, had, a, had a friend of mine, and here's here's the concern that he has, and it's one of these difficult questions that that come up in the church, and those that are disaffected in the church, this is one of their favorite songs. This is one of those things they struggle with. And it's this, that uh, you remember when Joseph was in Kirtland that a man by the name of Michael Chandler brought to him uh, uh, some mummies. And when they opened up the mummies, they found papyrus inside and writing on, on the inside of these uh, mummies. And Joseph said that he had translated the papyrus that was in the mummies and it turned out to be the writings of Abraham. And then he began to translate and he wrote down the, the writings of Abraham. Now, uh, it's a couple of things. One, the writings of Abraham, especially if we look at the writings of Enoch in the Pearl of Great Price, uh, the writings of Enoch in there match every single Enoch text that has been discovered way since the time of 
Joseph Smith. The, the book of Abraham, and especially the writings of, of Enoch, uh, are incredibly inspired and they incredibly match up with uh, every other text we have. Scholars have to, those that have really looked at this go, well, then that doesn't explain where Joseph Smith got this because the writings are authentic. However, Joseph believed that he had translated, that he had in his hands the writings of Abraham. And that he had translated it. Now, he, he copied some of these. So this is out of Times and Seasons. Uh, we have since found some of the other parchment that Joseph had in his possession. And there are some that were lost in a fire in Chicago that we don't have. But if we just take the records that Joseph said were the translations of the book of Abraham. And we just put it in front of the, us and we look at it. There ain't no way. This is a funeral text. And all the Egyptian scholars that look at this say this isn't the writings of Abraham. This is a standard Egyptian text. Uh, and well, this could be Abraham on the altar and the angel's going to kill him. Yeah, no, this is a standard funeral text. And you can find it all over the place in Egypt. So based on that, my friend and others say then Joseph Smith wasn't inspired because he was... He was coming up with the book of Abraham and he was pulling it out of funeral texts out of this mummy. So therefore the church must not be true. Jumping over the fact that the book of Abraham is incredibly uh, synchronous with every other text that's out there. They despise, because Joseph missed on this translation, then it's proof that he was not a prophet, he was making it up. Therefore the church isn't true. Not to mention that he translated language that they had no knowledge in. Yes. Okay. And and by the way, this same Joseph said that he had translated the Book of Mormon from uh, Reformed Egyptian. But odd that a lot of the times that Joseph Smith was translating the Book of Mormon, he didn't even open the gold plates. They just <laughs> sat there with a blanket on them. Was the Book of Mormon a translation or a revelation? Oh. Revelation. It was being revealed to him and he didn't even need to have the plates in front of him to do it. Was the book of Abraham a translation or a revelation? Oh. Revelation. And divinely inspired but not translated. Okay? Now... That's important. Now, now, when I go down this line with my friend, he'll say, well, then Joseph was a prophet. He should have known. <laughs> Any more than he should have figured out that, you know, that the Cherokee weren't the descendants of the Nephites kind of thing. You know, and you just get into the Joseph should have known. Joseph should have known. He was a prophet, wasn't he? If he's a prophet, God should tell him this stuff. Well... Fascinating to me that when Richard Bushman in, in his wonderful book Rough Stone Rolling gives us this little vignette into Joseph's life, he gets done translating the Book of Mormon. It says, Shortly after the organization of the church in April, Joseph thought for a time the innovations were over. He told David Whitmer he was through the work that God had given him, the gift to perform, except to preach the gospel. So in 1830, what is Joseph believing? He's, he's done. done. He's done. 
haven't organized the church yet. They haven't moved to Kirtland. There's no Zion. There's no temple. There's no baptisms for the dead. There's no key, the, the keys of Elijah. Joseph at that moment believes he's pretty well done and now he just needs to preach the gospel. What does that tell you about Joseph? He was very human and he had a lot to learn. And what does this tell us about prophets? Line upon line. That they're not going to know everything at first. Yeah, okay. And this is how God deals with prophets, is that they slowly, based on their ability to understand it, they, it slowly unfolds for them. If he tell, yeah, Joseph said at one point, if I told you everything I knew, you'd kill me. You just can't handle that. Okay? Okay. So this is the pattern. And if we'll see this, then it's going to make sense. We're, we're really about to get to Peter in just a second. This is the backdrop for that. Yeah. Kimberly? It's just that you see, one of the things that we have with the prophet Joseph is a much more face-to-face experience, much more detail with a prophet and the growth of a prophet than we ever had with Peter or Moses or anybody else. And so we can tend to be a little more critical. I just read this yesterday. So this is in Doctrine and Covenants section 5. He says to Joseph, and you have a gift to translate the plates, and this is the first gift that I bestowed upon you, and I have commanded that you should pretend to no other gift until my purpose is fulfilled in this, for I will grant unto you no other gift until it is finished. Ah, I will grant you no other gift until it's finished. In other words, I'm going to teach you, you'll do this, and then we'll move to the next level, okay? Now again, we're about to see this with Peter. Peter had the same experience of a growth of a prophet, moving line upon line. So, always through this, I guess I have, I realized I had an agenda, as I'm looking at all this, I think sometimes we are way too critical of these early brethren. Let them be human. Let them learn. Let them grow. Uh, uh, especially if we go back to uh, Thomas, doubting Thomas. Yeah, we well, was doubting Thomas, you know. Uh, with hold on, for, uh, I'll just say it rather than, rather than go back. As, as um, after the, all the brethren get a chance to, to touch the Savior, when the Savior comes to visit them, who's not there? Thomas. And they go to Thomas and they say, we saw the Lord, we touched His hands, we felt the wound, He's here. And what did, what did Thomas say? Unless I see, unless I feel, I'm not, I can't trust this. And it says in John 21, and so it's eight days later before Thomas is there and the Savior comes and he gets a chance to have that experience. So when the brethren got to touch him, 
They rejoiced, didn't they? He's alive. We understand. We have a reality. What about Thomas? His rejoicing was interrupted for eight days. Sometimes if we won't... Here's the principle. If we refuse to believe, it will delay our rejoicing. And in Thomas's, it was eight days of joy he didn't get a chance to feel, rejoicing he didn't get to experience, faith he didn't get to have because he was waiting for the face-to-face touching experience. When we don't believe, it, it, it delays our rejoicing. Okay. All right. So back to this. So, prophets uh, grow. <coughs> Oh, wait a minute. My, there might be some other another person who grew line by line, as I think about it. <gasps> the Savior <Huh>? himself. Isaiah <laughs> 93, and I, John, the Baptist, bear record that I beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, the spirit of truth. He came and dwelt upon us. And I, John, saw that he, Jesus, received what? Not, Not the fullness at first but received grace for grace. There was a time at some age in Jesus' life when he's looking up at the moon and doesn't realize he created that. And then some other point, a little later in life, when Jesus is looking up at the moon and going, I created that. I rolled that into existence. He didn't have all of it at first. He, He received grace for grace. But he received not the fullness of, at first, but, re, but continued from grace to grace until he received a fullness. Even the Savior didn't have a full knowledge of things at first. So certainly with prophets, we can give them that space. <coughs> so, now let's turn to John 21. Because this is another one where John or where Peter kind of gets a bad rap. After these things, verse 1, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee. And on this wise showed himself. And there's Simon Peter, there is Thomas. There's Nathan, or Nathaniel, son Zebedee, so seven of them. Simon Peter says unto them, after the Savior leaves, he says what? I go a fishing. And they say, we will go with thee. Uh, now, let's stop for a second. Wait a minute. He's the, he's the president of the church. How come at the first moment he's going to go off and go fishing? Doesn't that seem a little bit like, okay, you don't get it? I think maybe that's a place where he could go and just let it all work through. Think through, see what he's doing. And think about it. If he's doing something that he naturally does, that he doesn't have to think about, that doesn't, because he does it all the time. Okay. See, see, that's where my mind would go. Ponder. Okay. I think he was thinking he had to return to his former life since the Lord was gone. Let's quote uh, Elder Holland. 
Albert Holland says, and he says, I, let, let me paraphrase for him. He says, brethren, Peter, it has been a glorious three years. None of us could have imagined such a few short months ago after the miracles we have seen, the divinity we have enjoyed, we have talked with, prayed with, and labored with the very Son of God Himself. We have walked with Him, wept with Him, and on the night of that horrible ending, no one wept more bitterly than I. But that's over. He's finished His work. He's risen from the tomb. He's worked out His salvation and ours. So you ask, what should we do now? I don't know more to tell you than to return to your former life rejoicing. I intend to go fishing. And at least six of the ten other remaining apostles said in agreement, we will go with thee. You see a prophet growing here? He's still, he, he's Peter. He's been to the Mount of Transfiguration. He, is, he has seen the Savior in his glory. He's seen the resurrected Lord. And there's still an element where he's still learning line upon line. He still does not yet get the full import of what's about to occur. Yeah. His mind says, I did, I'm grateful, I, I did this, I'm done. And Peter, they experienced the prophecy, Christ did it, it's done. Okay. President, it's a little bit like we, we went on a mission, we go to New York, we have a great mission, we can come home, and now we can kind of, maybe we can work in the nursery. <laughs> We're just going to do something a little long. Okay. Well, there is that temple thing. Okay. We sometimes we don't understand what the Lord has next for us, but we can rejoice in what we feel like we've done to this point and feel grateful. And it's like, but He has more. So I think Peter's doing this. I think he's just like, we did it. What a marvelous thing! I'm not sure what comes next. I think I'm done. You guys want to join me? By the way, our families haven't eaten really well for the last three years. While we've been wandering all over, we probably ought to probably ought to do a lot of fishing. Maybe we can help make some money up for the fact they may have been living pretty tightly. Well, I was just kind of wondering if at this point he's going, gone through all of this, we've had a lot more of this and coming up, and we need to provide for him. Maybe. Well, and I've wondered about that too. It's just like, but we do need to take care of things a little bit. So who knows all the agendas on here? But certainly it wasn't. The Savior's going to say, I've, I've got some other things for you. Yeah. Could be um, everyone in this room probably has been through lots of adversity. But could it be, too, that uh, when we finish that, we say, well, that's done. But it could be that we go back to work, but we keep on doing the Lord's work. We go back to whatever we're doing. We go back to our lives. But I'm just going to go do the part-time thing. Yeah, maybe I'll just, you know, I'm going to, uh, it's like a bishop, I'll do my regular work here and then I'll just do that on the side. Yeah, exactly. So in that case, the same thing happened to Joseph, his wife. He would have periods of very intense Yeah. And then, he would say, then he's got to go work his farm. Yep. Yeah, although the Lord's not going to give him that break. Okay, because there are so many lessons here, and, and uh, 
uh, we won't t- take time to hit all of these, but just in, a, just in a few verses here. This last part of John is just packed. Uh, you want ho- uh, family home evening lessons? They are here galore, almost line by line. Okay? Um, Peter says, I go fishing. They said to him, we'll go with thee. We went forth and entered into the ship. And what happened? Nothing. They catch nothing. <laughs> you think that's an accident? <laughs> These are fishermen. They know when to fish and where to fish, and they know this lake in the Sea of Galilee, and they, they know exactly where to go and everything, and they are coming up buckets. They got nothing. You know, they're looking at each other. We've been fishing all night long, and, and this just ain't working out very well. Okay? And the subtle message is when you are on my errand and you do it your way, what happens? You catch nothing. <laughs> the, the symbolism here is just so wonderful. Okay? Okay? And, and when the morning was come, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples uh, knew not it was Jesus. Their, their eyes are a little bit holding here because he has a lesson. Uh, and Jesus said, children, have you any meat? They go, no. It's been, you know, nothing like talking to a fisherman out there. You catching anything? Nah. <laughs> you know, no, nothing's going on here. And they said, and, and he says unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship. And I would say right location. And I would say right correct. Cast the net where I tell you to cast your net. Not where you think you should cast your net. Cast it on the right side. And he called them children. Yeah, isn't that great? Because <laughs> they were kind of being children, right? They're, they're, they're kind of doing it. Okay. Cast the net on the right side, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were able to not draw it in for the multitude of fishes. And to me, then comes one of the funniest lines in all of the scriptures. I, I, I just love this. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved, uh, John, says... <laughs> It's the Lord. <laughs> you know? Picture that moment. It's like they, they cast it there for, they're not able to draw it up. They cast it on the right side. Suddenly they fished all night and they just like, these nets are full of fishes. And I think John looks at it and goes, It's the Lord. <laughs> Only the Lord could do this. Okay? Uh, and Peter heard it. He, he jumps into the sea. He didn't walk this time, he's having to swim. But the other disciples came to the little ship and they were dragging uh, not far from the land to under cubits. Uh, now, what if I think it's putting in there for he was naked? Mm-hmm. Could be naked, 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 and it could be naked like he wasn't wearing much. And actually, that's gonna that's gonna play a role in just a second. Hang on to that idea. Okay? We're gonna have to hurt. Okay. Now. Simon drew up, went up. Oh, let's go here. As soon, verse 9. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw... Now, now remember, they're still pulling up. They're dragging fish. They haven't caught any fish. They look up, and here's Jesus, and what's he doing? He's cooking fish. And he's got bread. And he's got a fire. Where did the fish come from? Where did the bread come from? Where did the fire come from? Okay. 
What happens is the, the Lord is saying, I already have fish. I can do this. But he's going to do an interesting thing with Peter. Peter went up and drew... Okay, Jesus said unto them, verse 10, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. So they're going to cook fish. They're going to cook up some fish. Part of which the Savior brought. Part of which Peter brought. Right? Isn't that what the Lord does? He says, I will provide a lot for you, but I need for you to bring what you have. Go back to the feeding of the 5,000. I can, I can take a little bit and I can spread it, I can feed the 5,000, but I need you to bring what you have. Bring what you have. In this case, bring the fish. So Simon went up and drew the net to the land, full of great fishes, and 153 fishes. How would they know that there was 153 fishes? They had to count. Who did the counting? The counselors did the counting. The, counter, the, the counselors after the meeting always stay behind and count. <laughs> and they counted 153 fishes. I remember as a bishop's counselor, long nights after, after the meetings are all done and, and somebody is really, you know, there's nothing like a mom showing up with their, with their child and they're bringing their tithing. Oh, that's wonderful. And they bring us like $5 in pennies. <laughs> <laughs> and they're so proud to go, good for you. And inside we're going, oh, I've got to count $5 worth of pennies and we're stacking up all this. <laughs> okay, 153. Uh, there have been a lot of speculation on the 153. I won't get into all of them. Some said, well, that's how many species of peop countries there were. That's how many species of fish there were. Uh, boy, you can go online and find all kinds of numerologists that are telling you why it was 153, and it's the prime <laughs> number of this and that and the other thing. And holy smoke. There was 153 fishes. I think that means a lot. A lot. <laughs> I think that's what it means. A lot. And there were so many, yet the net was not broken. The Lord says, if you'll fish where I want you to fish, you'll catch a lot and your net won't break. But isn't that what they tell missionaries? Go where I... Go where I tell you to go. And you will find... Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, we used to have... On my mission, we had, uh, we had a program we called the Liahona. And what we would do is that we would... In the morning, we would, we would put out... If we, this is a day we're knocking on doors... We would actually put out our entire area there and we would pray about which of these areas are we going to go to. And it's like, we feel impressed that we should go there. And of this area, what street should we go to? We pray about that. We wanted to fish where he wanted us to fish. And that's what we would do every morning. Um, and Jesus says unto him, come and dine. And none of the disciples just ask him, who art thou? Yeah, I'll bet. Okay. <laughs> And Jesus cometh, taketh bread. And then we get this that we've quoted so often in here. And I need you to see this in context uh, for what comes after. Because we, we're good with this. We know this. We've quoted these next few verses over and over and over. And they're beautiful and they're striking. But we miss what comes right after that. And that's where I want to close today. <coughs> Simon... Son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? More than what? 
the fish. So picture the fish kind of strewn out in front of him. Lovest thou me more than the fishing? Well, yeah, duh. I would love you more than fishing. That says a lot for a fisherman, but yes, I would. Uh, Lovest thou me? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Now, so he's going to go through these three times, and he's going to say, feed my sheep. Then comes the next line, and you need to see this again, I think, in context. To this, to this great prophet who was about to learn what the rest of his mortal life would consist of. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, meaning what? You dressed yourself. You put on your clothes yourself. Okay? You girdest yourself and walkest whithersoever thou wouldst. You've always been able to come and go and wear what you wanted to wear. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands and another shall gird thee. Somebody else is going to dress him? What would that mean? Provide. You would, yes, in a way. I think the next sentence, the next question. Yeah, if you go backwards. Uh, and carry thee whither thou wouldst not. This spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. What he's going to say, when thou art old... What they would do in crucifixion is that they would, they would first of all, uh, sometimes on the way to the, to the cross or whatever, they would actually put a, it's like leading a lamb to slaughter. They would actually put a rope around their neck and they would lead them or they would lead them in stalks. And they would stretch their arms out and now they can't, they can't move. Okay? And then they would gird them about with a specific loincloth for those being crucified and and with your arms stretched out, you can't dress yourself. You're going to have to be dressed by those that are going to crucify you. In burial clothes, yeah. Take away your robe, dress you with something else. Okay. So that, that's a pretty specific thing to say. Um, thou, thou, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, another shall gird thee, and carry thou whither thou wouldst not. Nobody wants to die this way. But they're going to take you where you don't want to go. And for, and for Peter, that was where? Rome. Under Nero. Uh, again, it is tradition. We don't know whether it's true that he was crucified upside down. But it, certainly there are writer, a number of writers that have suggested that. When it came that moment that he preferred to be crucified upside down, I can't even imagine that. Okay. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Now, I, I believe, brothers and sisters, that you know, as we kind of take a look at this process, I think for those of us that have testimonies of the church and a knowledge of the gospel 
and a knowledge of the Savior. The Savior is saying a couple of things. One, you're going to grow by uh, line by line. You're not going to understand things all at once. I will teach you. I will bring you. But there are going to be times because you don't know exactly what's coming next or why things have happened to you the way that they have or that things aren't unfolding in your life the way that you have anticipated that you're going to be walking the road to Emmaus and you're just going to be lost and that things aren't going to make any sense. Somewhere along the line of that morning, he will join you. You may not recognize him at first, but you will join. He will join you in that path. Somewhere in that process, you will know that he's there, not because you can see him, but because you can feel him. You will feel him. Your hearts will burn, and that spirit, that burning, that personage will unfold the scriptures to you and you will begin to understand more. And as you understand more, there's going to come a time when you have a face-to-face experience with him. You'll feel his breath. You'll feel that experience. And even at those moments, you may still not understand where you are supposed to be serving. And he's going to say, when you, are, when you were young, when you were little, when you were in primary... When you were in your younger years, you went wherever you wanted to go. But now that you're older, I need you to fish where I tell you to fish. I need you to cast your nets where I ask you to cast your nets. If you do that, you're going to come back with a bountiful harvest. I can't promise you that the end result of that in this life will always be wonderful because it may not be. It could be that you'll undergo persecution, and maybe even death. But cast your net where I ask you to cast it. And then you'll join me on high. I just think that's the... Peter, to me, is my exemplar of how that worked. And I, I love this man for who he was and who he is and for his humanness and for the things that I get to watch him going through these experiences. And I pray that we can do that and be able to kind of fish where the Lord wants us to fish. I leave you with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.